Well, hey, everyone, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined in the studio by Pastor Ross. Today, we're going to talk about five teachings about Jesus from the early church 2,000 years ago. We're in topic number five in the pursuit. Ross, before we talk, give some background on this. We're, we're going to be, for those of you taking notes out there, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. If you're not driving, you can open your Bible to Acts chapter 10. Ross, before we get into that background, real quick, at least explain last week's lesson, because today's lesson is in response to last week's lesson. Right. You can see that it's a chain of thought, and it's really important to have these things all or- ordered correctly. So last week we saw that the problem, the hum- humanity's greatest problem is, is our sin. And we talked about how sin is, whenever I choose to follow my own opinions and my own feelings instead of God's, is what, of what God has said, uh, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And we saw the terrible consequences that sin separates us from God, and it ruins our life here now, and it ruins our eternity. And so um, that's the problem, and, and today and next week we want to unfold the solution. What's God's answer to that human problem? Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of religions, probably most religions, their answer to the problem of sin is probably a, a list, a, a moral code, a list mm-hmm. of do's, maybe also a list of don'ts. And I'm not saying that the, we won't get into a list later on in the pursuit, but when we're answering the question of how do I start a relationship with God, here's what I want to start with. I want to make sure everybody understands this. The answer to the question isn't a list of do's and don'ts. The answer to the question of sin, to the problem of sin, is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why today's lesson is all about Jesus Christ. We're not going to we're not going to answer every question about who Jesus is. This isn't going to be like hugely theological. There are plenty of other resources at PursueGod.org for those of you who want to really dive into the the nitty-gritty of who Jesus is. What we're going to do today is we're going to just take a look at Jesus, these five fundamental teachings about Jesus in the early church, and we're pulling this list from Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 10. I guess it's not really a sermon. Peter's conversation. Kind of a sermon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. in Acts chapter 10 uh, at the house of Cornelius. So, Ross, before we get into this, again, this is in Acts chapter 10 in the New Testament. Ross, give us a little background. Who's Peter? Who's Cornelius? How do they meet? Yeah, the short version. Peter is one of the original apostles, one of the original followers of Jesus, leader in the church. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He's a commander of a unit. Cornelius had been uh, it, it tells us in, in chapter 10, Cornelius had been seeking to know God, and he'd, he'd, beca- he'd, he'd been uh, looking into Judaism and really uh, honestly seeking to know God, and so, and so God supernaturally directed Peter to go to Cornelius and tell him, look, this is, let me tell you what you've been looking for. And in that context, that's where he, in his address to Cornelius and his household, he unfolds all of this uh, in really important uh, information, these ideas about who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the the answer to Cornelius's spiritual quest. Yeah, and I think a lot of people might put themselves in Cornelius's shoes, because as you said, Ross, Cornelius wasn't Jewish. So at this point, m- almost all of the Christians in the early church were Jewish Christians. 
the the message hadn't quite yet reached the Gentile or the non-Jewish world. So this is is actually the first time, I think, right, Ross? This is the first time the gospel about Jesus, the gospel means good news, the good news about Jesus is shared with a bunch of non-Jews, right? So now it's getting out to the Gentiles. And we got to get a little geeky on this for a second. A couple things for the Bible Bible nerds out there to, to remember as we're about ready to read this. First of all, Paul hadn't written any of his any of his letters yet. He had just came come to faith in the previous chapter. Right. Uh, second of all, I don't even know how much Peter how much time Peter had to really process and think about these five things that he ends up sharing about the person and work of Jesus Christ. I, I guess we could debate that for some time, or that might be a good thing for small groups and mentors, but he'd certainly shared the gospel before. We've got a couple of his other sermons in, what, in Acts mm-hmm. chapter 2 and then yeah. in, in 5. In yeah. five. Yeah. So if people want to go back and read some of his other sermons, but in those sermons, he gives very, very limited information about Jesus. So in my mind, Ross... It seems like Peter is showing some some maturity. Maybe the Holy Spirit has revealed a little bit more because we get more in this message in Acts 10 about who Jesus is, certainly than we got in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Yeah, so part of that might be that his audience, because when he's speaking to a Jewish audience in the previous chapters, there's a lot more common understanding. But speaking to someone, so it'd be like today, Mm -hmm. speaking to someone who never grew up in church, um, uh, you know, you and I in that conversation would need to give more information, to give more basis, so this kind of connect the dots even more. And so it might be partly that Peter's trying to just connect the dots to someone who really uh, doesn't know the, the Jewish historical background of the Messiah and that sort of thing. Yeah, and that's, that's, why we're, that's why we decided to use this as our framework for Topic 5 in the Pursuit. We thought, you know, what, what's the best way to describe Jesus to someone who doesn't maybe have a lot of the background. Mm-hmm. And I think I think this is a really good way to do it, is just to actually use Peter's words from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 43, because I think these his little sermonette clearly outlines the five main teachings about Jesus in the early church. And I think later on, you're going to see a lot of this stuff resonate in Paul's writings, and we'll get to some of that today as well. So... Without further ado, let's talk about those five basic teachings about who Jesus was and what he did in the early church. And here's the first thing. Again, these are going to be direct quotes from Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 10. Let's start with verse number 36. Here's the first thing. Peter said, there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Okay, I'm going to read it again. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. There's actually two parts to this first point, right? Number one, Ross, is let's just briefly touch on this, the peace with God part. Obviously, we're talking about being reconciled, you know, the sin problem from last week. How do I fix the sin problem? That's essentially what, what Peter is saying, is you can have peace with God, reconciliation with God. You can fix your sin problem through Jesus Christ. Right. It's, it's exactly, it's a lot like a human relationship. If I do something to offend somebody or to or to hurt them uh, in some way, there's there's a barrier that grows up between us, and sin has that effect in our relationship with God. When I've when I've gone against what God wants and done, choosing my own way instead of His, and so in, in a human relationship, I need to be reconciled. There needs there's an alienation that needs to be fixed. 
and that's what that's what he's talking about here. So we so what it means in this life, we can have an ongoing living relationship with God. We're not estranged from God in our day to day experience. So I can talk to Him, I can pray, I can experience His leading and guidance, His strength. But also in eternity, where if there's an alienation with God in this life, when I die, then that becomes permanent. And so he's saying in eternity, I can have a relationship with God forever. I can be in heaven. I can, I, I can enjoy the blessings of a relationship with him you know, for good. Yeah, and again, let me just, let me, I think it bears repeating that notice he says there's peace with God, not through a bunch of rules, a mm-hmm. list of do's and don'ts. He says through Jesus Christ. What you believe about Jesus Christ is the most important thing about you because what you believe about Jesus is the one thing, according to the Bible, that really impacts your eternal destiny. So again, if you're listening to this and and you're still sort of dipping your toe in the water, you're, you're trying to learn the essentials of Christianity, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet, or you're not really sure if you are, uh, again, this, this lesson is so important to really grapple with who Jesus is, because if you don't know who Jesus is, you cannot have peace with God. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches. Okay, so that's the first part of this point. But let's, let's spend a little time on the second part of this point, because he's, Peter also says that Jesus is Lord of all. So, so, Ross, let's talk about the identity of Jesus, the person of Jesus. What is Peter, and I guess if we read the rest of the New Testament, what is the New Testament saying about who Jesus is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he's drawing on Old Testament realities as well. Um, to, to get this picture of who Jesus is, to call him Lord means that he's ultimate, that he's supreme, that he rules. We don't really use that word anymore much in our culture today. We don't say Lord, you know, so-and-so, um, but it means that he's the boss. He's the ruler, the king. And, and so to be Lord, that implies certain things about him that, that he has to qualify for that status. And so it, it, it bears into issues like his deity and his, his omnipotence and things like that. But fundamentally, uh, Peter's saying to Cornelius that the ruler of the whole universe is this person, Jesus. If you're going to have any kind of relationship with God, or if you're going to have any kind of spiritual reality in your life, it has to be mediated through him because he's the one who, the only one who holds that position of supreme authority and rule um, in all of reality. Yeah, and so to say it another way, Jesus isn't just a prophet. He's not mm-hmm. just a priest. He's not just a man. He's not just a good teacher. Really, as, as this is just a little bit. Of, it's like the tip of the iceberg when, when Peter said that he is Lord of all. I think we can learn more about who Jesus is through some of the other writings in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. One of those is Paul's in Colossians chapter 1. Paul wrote in verse 15, he said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, so he's not a creature. He's not a created being. Yeah. yeah. He's supreme over all creation, mm-hmm. right? He's, and it says, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. So clearly, right. he's not just a like a big brother for us. Right. He's not just a good guy. He's not a wise teacher. Just that. Yeah, far, far more than a Buddha or a Muhammad or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And again, the reason you're going to see as we go through this list, the reason that's important. Uh, this little spoiler alert here is 
if you believe that Jesus is just a good guy, a good teacher, a good example, a good prophet, even if you believe that Jesus is kind of like God Jr., that's not, that's not enough. That Jesus doesn't save. Only the Jesus of the Bible. So really, kind of would the real Jesus stand up? There are a lot of, a lot of religions out there that have teachings and ideas about Jesus. What we want to do in this video or in this podcast and in this lesson and in the other resources at PursueGod.org is to really help people to understand the biblical picture of Jesus. And if your picture of Jesus is anything less than fully God, you've got the wrong Jesus. Yeah, you see that we're going to see throughout this, these five issues that Peter raises, that they're not just informational, but each one of them has implications. Mm. If we say Jesus is Lord, then if you stop and think about it for even a second, you realize well, that has some implications for my life. If I really believe that he's Lord, then that's going to change my whole orientation toward him and reality and toward how I live and all the rest. And so that, that's why getting Jesus right is, is one reason why getting him right is so important. Yeah, again, if you struggle with any of this, if you're like, I need to know, because this, this kind of touches on the idea of the Trinity and some of the doctrinal content that we have in our library at Pursue God, Again, I just encourage you to just search that at Pursue God. Dig into that some more, um, but that's the first point. That, so that first point is about the person of Jesus. The second thing that Peter says is about the work of Jesus. Acts 10.38 says this, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Okay, so this one is a little bit of an easier point. This is probably the easiest thing to... to uh, understand and accept about Jesus. I think just about everyone would everyone would say, yeah, Jesus seemed like a good guy. He seemed like he did a lot of good in the world. Right. right? So, compassionate and helping people. And, yeah. and that, so that's true, but by itself, like you said, it's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what did he, I mean, he, the, the Gospels tell many, many uh, stories about he's feeding hungry people, he's healing people who are ill, he even um, raised some guy from the dead, which is like, whoa, well, what, you know? And so, more, in fact, more than once. And so there's lots and lots of examples of all the kind of good things he was doing um, in his earthly life. Where do we find those examples, Ross, just for people who are new to the Bible? Where would they go to the, in the Bible to read about the works of Jesus? Yeah, so it would be the first four books of the New Testament. So you go to the, the Old Testament is the first more than half, the New Testament, the latter part, open it up. The first four books are called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because those are the authors who give us the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. So here's one example, Luke chapter 4, verse 40. It says, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus, and no matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. I love that. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, you are the Son of God. I love that. The demons right. understood right. who he was, even though I think people were starting to just slowly piece it together, mm -hmm. who yeah. Jesus was. Okay, so that's what he did do. Okay, that's what he did do. I think it also bears telling what he didn't do. The, according to the Bible, what Jesus didn't do is sin. You know, what we talked about last week is, is that we all sin, we're all, we're all, we all have, we're, we've been born wrong, every one of us, mm -hmm. we've been born wrong, and we need to be born again. But that's not true for Jesus. Jesus was born 
perfectly. Jesus wasn't born with a sin nature like the rest of us. And Jesus never sinned in this world. Ross, why is it important that Jesus never sinned? Wow, you know, so that actually that's anticipating where we're going to go next, because we have a sin problem. It needs to be solved. God provides this person to do that. If he had a sin problem, how's he going to solve our sin problem? <laughs> right. Right? You know, it's like, um, it's like I've got a leaky bucket. I'm trying to bail out my boat. You come over with your leaky bucket, and, you know, we're not going to get it done. So his perfection um, is really important, not only to his sense of uh, our understanding of his identity. We look at him and say, oh, wow, he must have been, you know, the, the one unique human being who ever lived. And then, but also to his to the work that he did to make us at peace with God required a sacrifice for sin, and so he didn't have to make a sacrifice for himself, or have someone else make a sacrifice for him so that he could do that for us. Yeah, that's right. So there's a perfect lead into the third thing that Peter says, and this is in Acts ten verses thirty nine and forty. This is a big one. Here's what he says: They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. And this really is an extension of the second point is that, you know, the second point is about his work. The first point is about his person. The second point is about his works. And the third point is about his ultimate work, the, yeah. the crowning achievement of Jesus, which is to die on the cross and to be raised from the dead. And those things go hand in hand. Every single gospel obviously shares this because it's so important. Not all of the stories about Jesus' life are, are shared in every gospel, but this one is. This is a story because it is so central to the Christian faith. So the death of Jesus, here's one example of that, Luke 23, the crucifixion of Jesus, starting in verse 44. Let me read this one. It says, By this time it was about noon. Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. There was some symbolism to that. And then Jesus from the cross shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. So again, that's, the, that's part of the Luke account of the crucifixion. You can read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you'll find the, the account, and they're all very similar, but the account of the crucifixion. And then the account of the resurrection is in every gospel as well, because it's really important. Luke 24, very early on Sunday morning, some of the women followers of Jesus went to the tomb, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus there. They stood there puzzled. Two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. And then these men asked, I love this, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, right? Mm -hmm. So the death and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, and I don't know if our some of our listeners, this might be perplexing for some who maybe didn't grow up in church or whatever, like, why? What's the point of death and, and resurrection? Why is this? Wasn't it good enough for Jesus to, to go about doing good and couldn't have kind of left it there, and, and he could have lived to a ripe old age and, you know, helped a lot of people. And he'd so, be a good so person. He'd, he'd be a great care. person, you know, and a wonderful leader and teacher. So the idea that, that his death... So what the Bible's telling us is not just that his death is not just a circumstance or a mistake or he let himself get captured or but but that his death was actually God's purpose all along and that it happened because God said this is how sinful people can be made right with me 
And so I, that might be foreign to, you know, to a lot of our, our hearers uh, to think that, oh, I thought Christianity was just kind of like, oh, let's just do good to other people, and that whole model of, oh, we'll just follow Jesus and be like him and do good to, good to people and, and be nice, and, you know. But, but he, w- without the cross, without the death of Jesus, you don't have Christianity. You just have like some kind of a moral, you know, do-good society. And so I, I just want to, you know, help our listeners think through why the cross. This is a, a, an odd story, maybe, to someone who, who hasn't heard it before. Why is it so significant, and, and why did it have to be that way? Yeah, and not just the cross, but also the tomb. These go hand in hand. If, mm-hmm. if, the, if there was no resurrection, if there was no empty tomb, then Christianity would be gone. It wouldn't exist. In fact, Paul said it like that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins, mm-hmm. right? So he, he said it so clearly. He said, look, the resurrection's a big deal. The empty tomb means that we have hope. We as Christians have hope. So right. it's not just the cross, it's also the resurrection. And that really kind of leads to the next point, which is probably the most perplexing of all the five things that the early church had to say about Jesus, certainly that Peter said in Acts chapter 10. Here's the, here's the fourth thing that Peter says. He said, Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. So now now we're kind of sort of connecting the dots a little bit more, Ross, here logically, because, okay, we talked about that it's more than just that he was a good person. He's fully God. He went to the cross. He died on the cross. It's a good thing he was sinless, because if he wasn't sinless, then he would have had to die for his own sins. Mm -hmm. But because he's sinless, he can die for our sins. His death could pay for could atone for our sins because he didn't have to atone for his own, right? Mm-hmm. But but this is the one I think that a lot of people, modern readers especially, would be a little surprised by. Whoa, hey, where did we start talking about judgment? Right. Where did we start talking about l- the living and the dead? Explain this a little bit, Ross, especially for the modern listener. Yeah, th- that's a great point, Brian, because um, this whole idea that of accountability that, that somehow we're accountable as human beings to to a person or power you know outside of us beyond our history and so forth that 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 isn't common in the secular contemporary mindset um, but what he's saying is look everybody's accountable we all ha- we have a heart we all have a heart cry for justice and especially so let's say I'm wronged let's say let's say you know you back into my brand new sports car and put a big giant dent in it, I want justice. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to go, oh, it doesn't matter. There's nobody, you know, no right and wrong. It doesn't really matter. I know I want you to stand before a judge and the judge is going to say, you have to pay for that or you have to have the, some penalty because then it would feel like an unjust world. We, but if I'm the one who backed into your sports car, <laughs> uh, I might not want justice, you know, yeah. so much. I'd want to get away with it. Right. And so, but we all recognize, we all have this underlying felt um, value that there needs to be some kind of justice in the world. And our hearts, like we cry out when there isn't justice, we see injustice, so we don't, it doesn't feel like it's possible. Well, well, God says, yeah, there is justice in the world. There's a time and a day in the future that he's appointed where everybody will be accountable for whatever they've done, said, thought, etc. Well, who are we going to be accountable to? You know, who's the one person who is smart enough, pure enough, uncorrupt, 
um, who, who could really be in that position. And the Bible's saying, Peter's saying to Cornelius, that's Jesus. He meets all the qualifications to be the one who can ultimately set everything right that's wrong in the world. So we can look at it from two sides. We can say, whoa, whoa, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do, or I don't want anybody to tell me that I was wrong, and I don't want to have to you know, pay a penalty. But the other side of it is we go, oh, I see a lot of mess and injustice in the world, and things need to be made right. Mm. And so I think those are the two sides of that coin. Whether we're receptive to it or not depends on kind of which way we're looking at it. And here's where the cross fits in. At the foot of the cross, the love of God, and we've been talking a lot about the love of God. Mm. Again, some people might be surprised to hear this. They're like, wait, I thought, I thought people matter to God. I thought he's been pursuing us. I thought, I thought he loves us. I, I thought... I thought we were made in his image, Imago Dei, right? So what about what was all that what was all that rainbow, the gumdrops and lollipop stuff in lesson one and lesson three? And that is true on the one hand. God does love every single one of us. Everyone is made in his image. All of that is true. Yet it's also true what we talked about last week in lesson four, that we're sinners and there's a real problem and it's a big deal. We can't just say it's no big deal. We can't, we can't just tell God, oh, God, you'll, you'll forgive that, right? That's not our prerogative. The, the justice of God meets the love of God at the cross, and that's kind of the point. That's why that's the beauty of the Christian message. Lesson, or point four in Peter's sermon is really important for everyone to hear. I, I, want, I especially want people who are new to Christianity to really hear this and be uncomfortable with this. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Jesus will judge you for your sins. He's not just buddy Jesus. He will judge you for your sins. That's the bad news. It doesn't have to be bad news, though. We're going to see. Right. We don't, we're going to see this. It doesn't have to be bad news because he's provided a way out, but he will judge you for your sins. He's not just going to say, it's no big deal. Who cares? It's no big deal. It's right. a huge deal, right? and it matters to him. Here's how Paul said it in Romans 2, verse, verse 9 and verse 16. He says, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, he says. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. That's true. That's true. Even though we don't, at our church, Ross, we don't tend to, we're not a fire and brimstone kind of a church. That's not how we, it's not generally how we approach it. But it is very true. Sin's a problem. And Jesus will come to judge it someday. Right, and people really need to understand that in their pursuit of God, because, um, you know, last week with the idea of sin, I, I think one of the implications of that is that if I don't really accept or believe the problem, then I don't value the solution. So if I don't really understand that I'm accountable to God, to Jesus, and he's going to judge my life, then I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't really care about the solution. You know, if um, if it doesn't feel like a real need to me, so and we're all really good, aren't we, at human beings at, at deflecting uh, accountability from ourselves for being in denial about our own need? You know, it's always easier to see the, the need in the other guy. We can see the same problem in the other guy that we can't see in ourselves, um, and so we really do need to come to grips with to own up to uh, the justice of judgment mm. in our own lives. Well, and so here's the last thing that Peter that Peter says and this is where this is where 
he resolves all of this. I'm so glad that there's a fifth thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just end on judgment, right? And for some churches, it uh, maybe even for some people, you feel like it just ends on judgment. That's right. God's final word. That's right. not his final word. There's right. one more thing that Peter says in verse 43, and here's, here's what he says. Everyone who believes in Jesus will have their sins forgiven through his name. I mean, just you can just feel the release when he says this, that you know he's built, he's explained the, the person of Jesus, that he's Lord of all. He's explained the works of Jesus. He went around doing good and, and that he, he, his ultimate good that he did was to die on the cross and then raise himself from the dead, proving his authority over sin and death. And then he says, and he's going to judge that sin problem that we all have but he finishes with this. The good news is everyone who believes in Jesus, not everyone who keeps a list of rules, right? right? Not everybody who who's a, really tries hard is a good person. It's just everyone who believes. It's a really simple message mm-hmm. that is consistent throughout the whole New Testament. It is believing in Jesus. Right. And, you know, it seems like there's such a tendency in human life, in the human heart, to make a list. You know, to measure myself against a list of do's or don'ts. And this is simple. This is simpler. In some ways, it's way harder, mm-hmm. right? If I have a list and I'm following a list and I think, oh, I can do this, then I don't really take maybe seriously my spiritual need and my spiritual. Bro- we caught, last week we talked about brokenness mm-hmm. or my bankruptcy. And so this is like, okay, this is why the answer is so simple because it addresses the, the real problem in a real way that lists and nothing else can really help us. We have to recognize that the only, the only person that can help us, the only thing that can help us, is just for Jesus to do what he does on our behalf. That's good. Romans 3, one more verse for today. Romans 3, verses 23 to 25. Now, we already read verse 23 last week. It says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's the bad news. But verse 24 says this, Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Just see how consistent what Paul is saying here, which he wrote years later. Remember, Paul came to faith in Acts chapter 9, and then in Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches this first sermon to Cornelius and his household. And now Paul is saying the same things that Peter preached in Acts chapter 10. Jesus, he, God did all this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sins. People are made, I love this verse, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrifices life, shedding his blood. I'll read that last part again. People are made right with God when they believe. It doesn't say... I mean, fill in the blank for yourself. People are made right with God when what? You know, I mean, we should have maybe started with this. You know, just answer this question. How do you think a person, how do you think a person has peace with God in Peter's words, right? You have peace with God according to Paul and Peter and the entire Bible Mm -hmm. by believing that Jesus did what the Bible claims that he did, which is to die on the cross for our sins and then to be resurrected. Yeah, and I know we're going to get into this in the next uh, session, but I would point out here for our listeners that the, the idea of belief is not just, okay, I heard the facts, and I, and I, I can acknowledge those, are, those facts are true. Um, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. People say that. But the idea of belief here goes way beyond just a cognitive affirmation. Mm-hmm. 
it, 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 we're going to see that it involves um, a whole, it involves every part of our human person, our mind, our will, our emotions. And, and so I don't want any of our listeners to think, oh yeah, I believe, I've always believed that ever since I was a kid. I, I, they taught me that in church. Oh, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I, I just want you to bracket that uh, for a minute so that we can, next time we talk, we can really dig into what the New Testament means when it uses that particular word. There is the cognitive or the, the, um, the affirmation of truth, but that's just where it begins. And we talk about where it goes from there. Yeah, because the truth, the truth is understanding these five facts about Jesus, these five statements that Peter makes that, that Paul later in his writings completely affirms, understanding them is only half of the battle. You can understand them and not be saved from your sins. I want to say that again. I think it's important for people to hear that. You can understand this and even say, okay, I believe that. Intellectually, I believe that. And yet not be saved. Is there an example of someone who's who understands all this about Jesus and yet isn't saved that we have well, in the Bible? Well, there's uh, one that comes to mind is the devil. Yeah, for one, that's right. Uh, James in James chapter two is Jesus. Uh, James says, "Look, the the demons believe and they tremble, but but they're not right with God." And you know, there's probably others too. Yeah, but that's that's what I was fishing for. Good job, Ross. I knew you'd answer that right. Yeah, it's the demons, right? The demons believe. The, Satan believes. He knows all these facts. So knowing the facts isn't right, enough. Exactly. There's something about our response that matters to God, which is what we'll talk about in the next lesson. But but we probably need to finish with what happened in Acts chapter 10. Mm-hmm. Ross, how did yeah. Cornelius, how did he and his household respond to this message after they heard it? Well, they were excited to hear it. They were going, wow, this is the answer to everything that we've been seeking. Um, and I'm sure, you know, it shows Cornelius with his whole household, and that probably includes servants. And, and, and every, so he must have been talking about this with his, with his right-hand man and his confidants and his, his family, um, because when they heard it, they rejoiced that they could be included in God's plan, that they could have a relationship with God. And it was like a big celebration, and then and then they um, they demonstrated that by being baptized, which is, we've talked about that in other times. It's just an outward expression of the internal reality mm-hmm. that they had committed themselves to. Yeah, and the good news is for those of you who are listening to this and you're kind of new to this still, you're still maybe unaffiliated, is we're going to be covering all of that in the next few lessons. All of the stuff that we see happened for Cornelius and his household in Acts chapter 10, that same pattern can still happen today, and we want to help lead you to that. So next week, we'll be talking about how to respond to who Jesus is. Okay, now we have this information about our sin problem and how Jesus is the solution. Next week, we're going to talk about what, how do I respond to this according to the mm-hmm. Bible. So make sure to join us next week as we talk about how to be born again in the words of Jesus from John chapter 3. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.